Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, maybe a little Happy New Year. Uh, welcome to another special holiday episode of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, and we are in the season to be jolly. Fa la 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 la. <laughs> All right, we've been having and we're having a series of one-on-one -on -one conversations uh, to get us through the holidays, and today, Royce White the former Iowa State basketball star, uh, former NBA uh, player for a brief time uh, before, you know, leaving the NBA over dispute over mental health and whatnot. But uh, Royce is from Minneapolis. You've seen him on the show before. Uh, he's probably the smartest, he and Delano, the smartest guys that come on the show. Uh, and he's certainly one of the smartest athletes I think I've ever engaged with. Uh, and again, as I mentioned, he's from Minneapolis, where the George Floyd incident uh, was famous. And so Royce and I have talked behind the scenes and off air about, hey, let's have a full discussion on George Floyd and perhaps where we have some disagreement and or agreement. Royce was instrumental in leading some of the protests in support or in reaction to uh, George Floyd's uh, tragic death in Minneapolis in 2020. Uh, so Royce, I, to some degree, I, I wanna share in the driving of this conversation with you. I don't want it to just be me. So I, I wanna lob the ball in your court first and, and tell me why or why you thought the George Floyd incident was important for you to get behind and support and protest. Um, let's let's start there. Well, thanks for having me again, Jason. Um, I think we have to start with the monopoly on violence. I think it's a, a, an important fundamental jumping off point for people to understand this conversation about police, but about the state. Um, and the significance of the state. So the state has a monopoly on violence and this monopoly applies to all citizens, okay? And, and we know that the state will transgress that monopoly. The state is full of corruption up and down the ladder across the political aisle. So we know that the state has the ability and, and the willingness to transgress the monopoly and they have a, a, a foundation of corruption uh, as well. When the state transgresses the monopoly on violence, and a black person is on the receiving end, it's a unique transgression because of the history in our country. Um, and I don't think it does anybody any good to dismiss out of hand the open wound that still exists between America and, and her black people. 
Um, I think that when when a black man unjustly is is killed by a person who wields the authority of the state, it's putting salt in the open wound. And I hear a lot of people bring up the character of these individuals, such as George Floyd or Jacob Blake or, or whoever uh, the example would be. And while I would never uh, negate bringing a person's character into question in an incident, incident they're involved in, I also want to caution to people who do so and to others who may hear it that uh, a serious element of that is people trying to justify why it wouldn't happen to them. When you hear that somebody was killed by a police officer, your immediate uh, red flags go off immediately, alarm, uh, alarm sound immediately because of that monopoly on violence. <clears throat> and I think what we first go to try and do is say, well, what did that person do? And, and, and that's why it wouldn't happen to me because I would never be doing that. But what I led a protest about was the fact that nobody is safe from a monopoly on violence by the state, especially in times when a radical authoritarianism is on the rise. And radical authoritarianism is on the rise. And because of that, anything somebody does in their past can be used by the state or the corporatocracy uh, to, to justify abusing them. Um, and in the event that they don't have anything in your past that will suffice, they'll make stuff up. And so I think people need to separate who George Floyd was, what happened on that day, and what the implications are going forward. So for me, just adding a bit of context, and I'm, I know I've shared this on the show, I'm not sure if I've shared it with you, but you know, I had a close relative that I helped raise, cousin, Anton Butler, uh, killed in 2012 uh, in Indianapolis at the hands of sheriff's officers, uh, tasered in the rain and died. And we believe wrongfully, uh, we certainly argued that. Uh, the police have a story that, you know, my cousin uh, tried to swallow cocaine that he was carrying, and that's why he died. Uh, you know, we, we don't believe that. We believe that it was the tasering in the rain. He basically got electrocuted to death. But w when I look at the George Floyd situation, the toxicology report is pretty crystal clear, and his behavior backs it up that this man had ingested a boatload of fentanyl and, you know, uh, Derek Chauvin at 160 pounds trying to restrain him, I believe, you know, kneeled on him for too long, but I don't think there was any intent to harm George Floyd. He incompetently kneeled on him too long. I don't think this was the state trying to do violence to George Floyd. They were trying to restrain for too long a guy that was handcuffed, but he was high as hell. And so I, I think it's dishonest uh, not to say that George Floyd contributed to his own death. Because if he had just gotten in the back of that police car like he had done previously, this was not his first arrest, He'd still be alive today. It is dishonest to negate 
George Floyd's actions on that day. And I'll agree with that 100%. However, let, let me give you a different story. Um, back in 2016, 2017, I was in a city here in the Twin Cities called Roseville. In Roseville, there's a shopping mall called Harmar. It's a shopping mall I grew up a stone's throw from uh, as I helped my uh, aunt, who was one of the, the longest, uh, lo one of the, one of the, longest owning black entrepreneurs of a, of a local hair salon in the area. Um, I grew up in, in that barbershop and in that hair salon, sweeping floors, uh, answering telephones, washing hair, and so on and so forth. Um, and in this shopping mall is a stone's throw from that. Um, and one day I was there eating at a restaurant called Lee and Chen with the children, of, with the mother of my children. And we were in the parking lot in a car sitting there in the front seat eating. And as we were doing so, a squad car rolled around the parking lot. I took note of it because I'm a black man and black men tend to take note when, when police are in the area, whether or not we are uh, participating in any, in any criminal behavior. Um, a second squad car rolls by. My children's mother says, I'm gonna get out of here because something's going on. I told her, no, we're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything wrong to leave or to try and flee in a situation could, could actually uh, make it worse if, if something is going on. Um, before I could get the thought out completely and convey that we were gonna stay and what my reasoning was for staying, a third squad SUV had pulled in, pinned us in from the front, hopped out, get your hands on the windshield with their guns drawn. Um, Luckily, I've been in high pressure situations before I had the wherewithal to put my hands on the glass immediately um, in my rearview mirror or in the side mirror. I could see that an officer was coming with their gun drawn, pointed at the back of my head and they started to ask questions. Where's your wallet? Uh, you know, who are you? Where's your wallet? That type of thing. I said, listen, my name is Royce White. I used to go to the University of Minnesota. I went to Iowa State University. I don't know who you're looking for, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not him. And they opened the door and they asked for my wallet. Well, first they asked me to open the door. I said, no, you open the door. And then they asked for my wallet, pulled my ID out. I stepped out of the car with my hands showing. By this time, there were several officers surrounding the vehicle with their guns drawn. By the time they pulled my ID out, they took one look at it. And I saw one officer whisper to the other officer, this isn't him. Um, I was pretty upset. I was infuriated, right? Yeah, you, of course I'm not him. I'm 6'8". You made a positive identification while I'm sitting down in the front seat of a car. I could be 6'8", I could be 5'8", I could be 5'2". You don't know. And my, my whole point in telling that story is I could have easily made the wrong move in, a, in, a, in fear or in an adrenaline rush or out of anger, justifiable anger in that situation, and been dead today. And I hadn't done anything wrong. Their explanation was somebody in the area with a warrant uh, looked like me and was known to be carrying a weapon. That's the monopoly on violence. Understand? And, and if we take a look at George Floyd's situation to bring it back to today's conversation, George Floyd produced a $20, a fake $20 bill, a counterfeit $20 bill. Okay. If 
producing a counterfeit $20 bill should result in a person's death contributed to in any way by any formal institution in this country, then the board of the Federal Reserve should be dragged to the guillotine because they've printed 30 trillion counterfeit dollars in the last 12 years. Are you miserable? Haven't been on a date in years? Are you still upset that the cool kids bullied you in junior high school? Mixed race and yearning for the street cred of the homies? Or maybe you're just an angry, radicalized woman who lacks the skills and allure that Kamala Harris used to attract a Willie Brown. Hi, my name is Dr. Van Joan. I am the head of DIE for the Alphabet Mafia. D-I-E stands for diversity, inclusion, and equity. Die. Does that sound fun? If you're bitter about your life, you're mad about the way God made you, and you're a total loser, then you are a prime candidate to become a made man or made woman in the Alphabet Mafia. You want to know more about us? We're a for-profit coalition of organizations funded by George Soros. We're Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ, and critical race theory, all rolled into one. We burn and loot cities, we redefine marriage, and we're also in the process of redefining and expanding gender identities. If you have a writing flair, you would be a good fit at the New York Times. We're rewriting history, and we're helping Americans understand that this country is a massive failure. Do you have a violent criminal history? Maybe you've done time in prison for pedophilia, rape, maybe even some domestic violence, and you can't find the right job in corporate America? No problem. At DIE, you're a perfect candidate to loot, burn, and terrorize black communities. You could be the next Joseph Rodenbaum. So don't miss your chance to kill America. Call us right now at 1-800-555-MARA. That's 1-800-555. Let's all make America racist again. Royce, where I would push back is the $20 bill didn't get uh, George Floyd killed. His refusal to get in the back of the truck and be resistance for 20 minutes is what led to those events. Uh, and, so, and so that, and I think the fentanyl in his body contributed greatly to those events. The, 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 here's what I would say about your individual story is, because I think it ties into the open wound comment you talk about. And so I had a similar incident in 1992 in South Carolina when I was living right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I, I was treated very poorly by a number six, seven police officers on the side of a highway, middle of the day, I had just left work, and it was a terrible experience. And I mean, I was really upset for a substantial period of time. Two, three months, talked about it, blah, blah, blah. 
and then my cousin that I just referenced. I was very upset for a long time, but I don't consider any of them open wounds. And so I, 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 I I've just had to move on past them because I've also had other experiences. The only two times I've ever had a gun drawn on me was by black men. And, uh, you know, one was an accident. A group of us were walking in a neighborhood and th there had to be six to eight of us in our group. And other guy was by himself. He actually knew us, but he pulled his gun and pointed it at us because it was dark and he didn't know who we were. And then he when he figured it out, he's oh, man, I'm sorry, blah, 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 blah. The other time is a guy tried to rob me at a gas station around six, seven in the afternoon in Indianapolis, pulled his gun on me, then thought better of it, put it, you know, and ended up running away. Uh, and so I think a lot of people, the, the open wound in Brazil and then the monopoly on violence, I think people would push back against because as a black man, when the, the story you told about taking notice of the police, uh, particularly given where my father's bar was and the Masterpiece Lounge and, and even his bar before that, Jimmy's J Bar J. These are my favorite places on earth, but they were located in the inner city uh, in all black communities, my favorite places on the earth. And we were always on guard for Junebug and Ray Ray and uh, the criminals in that neighborhood who were pretty good at robbing people. And so I, I've been in many situations where I've taken notice of the guy with the pants hanging off his ass who oh, yeah. might pose some threat to me. And, yeah. <laughs> and so the, the monopoly on violence that I think black people most worry about is the violence done by gang members or common everyday criminals in their community. And, and, and but we act like it's, you know, we're living in constant fear of the police. And again, I've had bad experience with the police to me personally, my cousin, Anton Butler, mm -hmm. but I've had more bad experiences with thugs and criminals than yeah. I have with the police. But, but hang on a second. We, we got to clarify one thing the monopoly on violence. What it means when I say the state has a monopoly on violence is that they're the only ones who can legally do violence. And there is a different standard of morals, ethics, morals and ethics for the state versus the everyday citizen because they have the monopoly on violence. And I'm not saying that we should live in a country that has no authority. Actually, the monopoly on violence is the proper mechanism for a government. Like Elon Musk said the other day, you know, this is two days ago, and, and we talked about this uh, many weeks back, the monopoly on violence. But he said that basically what a government is, is the highest level of corporation with the monopoly on violence, because they're the only ones who get to legally do it. Okay, so there is a different standard of ethics and morals and, and a different degree of penalty or guilt when the monopoly is transgressed. And nobody's saying that there's not a problem with black on black crime in the inner cities. And nobody's saying that black men don't have to be mindful of other black men. That's not the point. What I'm saying is that historically, given the relationship between black America and the state, when a cop kills a black man 
or a black person in this country unjustly, it carries a unique, a unique, it, it carries a unique context. And I think that that's undeniable, really. Um, so the, the monopoly on violence, citizens don't have the monopoly on violence in any way, shape or form. They do violence. And, and my point, and let, let's go beyond the, the, black, the black thing or the black and white thing, because I've already said that's a three-card Monty. And actually, I think that the police have been manipulatively placed in between the state and the free people as a security force, you could say, or an intimidation force. And I'll show you how with this example. We could talk about fentanyl and George Floyd and black men stealing cars or sticking people up or black on black crime and shit. All of that's a problem. And we all know that. But the monopoly on violence doesn't just apply to black people in the direction of the state or white police officers. The monopoly on violence is going to come to bear on every single citizen when the state gets ready. And that's what we must be weary of. The vaccine mandate shows you the threat over the horizon. Because who do people think the vaccine mandates are gonna be carried out by? The police, the military, the state? The, the vaccine mandate was already federally mandated. Right? You understand that the, the grandiosity of the federal government is undermining the meaning of community and the meaning of citizenship. And I don't care what race you are, but as a black man who knows the history of black people in this country, the, the, the relationship between us and the state has a unique has a unique context to it. And nobody can deny that. And, and look, I'm not even talking about police brutality. I'm not talking about segregation. I'm not even talking about slavery. I'm talking about the strategic attempt by the state and state agencies, bureaucratic agencies that have intentionally suppressed the rise of a prosperous America, a prosperous black America. And the Federal Reserve is the perfect example. We have a 14% population and we get 3% of the loans. That's economic tyranny. And it's, if you want to talk about why our credit is bad, I mean, we can, we can go into the rabbit hole of what the real transgressions against America, black America are. And they're predominantly economic. And people like Thomas Sewell, uh, Sewell and, a, and a bunch of other right-leaning black men have, uh, have alluded to this you know, this dynamic, that there are real transgressions against black America. But the, the WWE stuff is about the, you know, the, the flashpoints when there's a cop who kills a, a, an individual black man who's unarmed, which is a transgression. But there are far graver sins and they are systematic. I, the, the larger point you're making about, look, the state will be used to impose things that, that normally just shouldn't be imposed and freedoms that we should have by, based on our Constitution and Bill of Rights and things like that, the, you're right. I just happen to think George Floyd is a horrible example uh, to use, and I get that, hey, you, you're from Minneapolis, you're right there in Minneapolis, and so this was at your disposal, this was right in your face, and so you, used it, talked about it to address this larger issue. I just think it's a really, really bad example because no, I don't think Derek, I don't think Derek Chauvin had any intent to harm it, it uh, George Floyd. It doesn't matter if he had the intent to do it or not. 
You could not have the intent to make a woman feel uncomfortable sexually, but still end up in the penitentiary for it. You understand what I'm saying? So what I'm talking about is that the, the court of law, the state, and, and the physical uh, threat of violence from the police is tilted in a very uneven skew right now. And, and my bigger point is that if I'm George Floyd, let, let's put me in the situation. What if in the situation where the cops pulled the gun on me, I'm, I'm a completely innocent citizen. I wasn't committing a crime to their admittance. What if I just punch one of those cops in the face? You pulled a gun on me. I'm, I feel I'm in fear for my life. I would actually be in the wrong. And that's what the monopoly on violence means. Because in any other situation, if somebody pulls a gun on you, they are threatening, uh, they are creating a, a, a life-threatening danger to you, and you have a right to defend yourself. We have no right to defend ourselves against the state, and that's what I was trying to explain to you when we discussed Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers. That's what they understood. And there are many right-leaning conservatives in this country who may not want to give any, any leeway on George Floyd because of his personal backstory, but they certainly believe in the right to defend themselves against the state and police officers, although they may not admit it in the, in the uh, heat of the common political discourse because police have been placed on one side by a corrupt BLM in, uh, entity that has hijacked the police-citizen dynamic to their own political agenda. But if we're really talking about the fundamentals, a police officer should have no more right to put my life in danger than any other citizen. I should be able to defend myself, especially if I'm innocent, especially if I haven't done anything criminal. And so when Derek Chauvin had George Floyd pinned down, handcuffed behind his back, George Floyd was no longer a threat. He was no longer a threat to do any harm to those police officers. He was no longer a threat to do any harm to anyone else, any other citizens. They had no right to continue on with that kind of action. And Derek Chauvin is the example of these, these beta male uh, uh, bullies who are passive aggressive, who sign on to police departments, and they take out all of their regressions and, 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 and being bullied and all of these different things that they, that they haven't resolved in their own life. And they take it out on the citizens that they say that, they, that, that they're there to serve and protect. And, and that's not conjecture, Jason. We know that police officers have one of the highest alcoholism rates out of any profession in our country. How do we reconcile that? How do we give people a gun and badge and wield the authority of a state when we know that there is a crisis of addiction and alcoholism within the profession without any type of policies to address that? Not only address their alcoholism, but address the effect that it possibly carries on, on the, the, the citizens they protect which again is a mental health issue. So what I'm trying to tell you well, is, go ahead. What I would say a little bit to that in terms, that profession, no matter who you dump into that profession, I think is going to create, they're gonna have a higher propensity to alcohol, drug abuse, whatever. It's such a high pressure job. It because doesn't pay all that well. Because they're underfunded. Well, I, I, I get no, it, no, but that, again, that we're talking. We got people talking about defund the police, but it, it, I, I think but it would be like that's it would be like to... saying a chef, the chef profession. I'm sure obesity 
and diabetes and things like that are higher in the chef possession, <laughs> profession because they're working around food and they're making food all the time. And, and so there are complications to every profession. Being a truck driver because you're so sedentary contributes to weight problems and things like that. But, but, but what, what I do think about Chauvin is he was incompetent and I do think that perhaps some of the issues you're talking about, he, he wasn't a big guy. He's, I think, five foot eight, five foot nine, 160 pounds. And maybe he was a beta male. But, but what we do know, and again, this is, I put it on us, like I hear LeBron James and Royce White and other six foot seven, six foot eight, really athletic people. Are y'all signing up to be police? And do we want the responsibility of policing our own communities? I'm not sure we do. And then we get upset when outsiders come in and police our communities. No, 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 no. Wait a second. Wait a second. They killed every black leader who emphasized. See, this is this is the, the bait and switch sleight of hand of the right wing conversation that I won't tolerate. And I'm a fire breathing populist and I'm going to continue to lead the, the, the populist movement. And I believe in it. But this is the right wing sleight of hand that I won't tolerate, okay? They always talk about black on black crime and the pitfalls of the black community. Number one, black fathers not being in the house is not because black men are uh, radical breeders and irresponsible and don't wanna be with their, with their family. Plenty of black women have been tricked by a neoliberal feminist movement to denounce the importance of family and marriage. That's why the divorce rate is the way it is. And that's why the divorces are by a disproportionate measure engaged by women. OK, so that's number one. The black father thing's a sleight of hand. But number two, the overall black culture in black communities in this in this country was undermined by the state. Because what the Black Panthers were trying to do at bottom, what the Nation of Islam was trying to do at bottom, was address the crisis of spirituality, of, of philosophy, of values in our communities. That's why Malcolm X decried the civil rights movement leaders. He said, you guys keep asking the white system to address something for you, but we're not ready for revolution because we're still knifing each other in the neighborhood in Harlem. So they were trying to address that. But they killed them. And not only did they kill them, they assassinated them. Monopoly on violence. And the monopoly has been used to undermine and suppress the rise of black America. Yes. Should black more black men be police officers? Absolutely. But that's not going to solve the issue. Black America needs a full scale philosophical and spiritual renaissance. And we haven't been allowed to do that twofold. Number one, there are real fundamental uh, mechanisms from the state that try to keep us in a certain condition. But number two, the neoliberal movement that has risen to the top of state power uses us as, as a pawn. We're a piggy bank. We're a $1 trillion a year piggy bank. And, and so what I'm telling you, this is why we went to the Fed. The police are underfunded. I don't, of course the police are gonna run into trauma. I'm a mental health advocate. I understand the perils of their profession. But why are there not more officers getting paid leave after they uh, engage in a traumatic incident out there on patrol? Why is it that the state says, hey, that's just part of your job? Because they don't want to hire more police officers and pay them more. Why? Because they're spending un unbelievable, unreal amounts of money 
on phantom on phantom budget line items. And to, to help the audience, I have to do this. People have a, tr a trouble, real trouble with exponential math. Okay. A million seconds is 11 days. A billion seconds is 31 years. A trillion seconds is 32,000 years. In 12 years, we have run up a national debt of $30 trillion. That's $80,000 a second. So if we're gonna talk about a counterfeit 20, then there need to be real militias formed to push back against the economic tyranny that this federal government and their corporatocracy co-conspirators have done on, these, on our citizens. And George Floyd is a victim of that. And many people are a victim of that. But instead of going after the real power, they settle and they want to pick a fight about George Floyd's character. I, I, all of us have many things in our past that, we wouldn't, that wouldn't fare well in the court of public opinion. But what we're talking about is the role of the state and the value of citizenship. And so part of what I'm talking about is effective strategies to get the message you're trying to get across. And so that's why, again, I'll go back to George Floyd's a bad platform to stand on. It's too uh, polarizing, divisive, confusing. George Floyd painting him as some ultimate victim. He's just not the right example, and it distracts people from your overall message. When, I don't think, when I, don't, you, I don't agree, though. Well, let me because finish, because I, 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 I understand, only on because fentanyl. we're short on time. These people, are, these people are, look, George was on fentanyl. These people are addicted to caffeine, cocaine, uh, social media. I mean, the addicts, the, the addiction problem is widespread. So he happened to be on an illicit, uh, illegal drug. And so alcohol is, is legal. But how many of the police, how many of the police officers that may have been involved in that incident are alcoholics? I'm showing you through the statistics and through the sheer facts that we that our whole paradigm about the relationship between the state and the citizen is predicated on these WWE style topics. But go ahead. And so what I'm saying is, I think on some of your bigger points, we don't really have disagreement. Oh, but yeah. it gets cluttered up by George Floyd because, again, if someone's high on caffeine, they probably get into the back of that police car and they get released 24 hours later from jail. But when you're high on fentanyl, you fight, fuss and fight with the police and it, and it goes further than it should. But, but the other thing is, you know, uh, Royce is like I, I was just making a specific point about police officers and and you know because we want to beat up on Derek Chauvin and I'm like well hold on man you know we can sign up for these jobs too and you know we can police our own communities and you turn that into black father and you know somewhat insinuated I was doing a sleight of hand I'm no, not no, into that type not of you. debate or discussion because I don't think you're doing sleight of hand. I just think no, you're a very bright mind and you unpack big ideas. Let me finish, uh, Royce. And uh, you unpack big ideas. And so I, I give you plenty of room and going to continue to give you plenty of room because we're going to continue this. Con we're going to have a second conversation and pick up where we're ending here because I want to give you plenty of room to make all your points. But but and so because you've said a lot because like the Black Panthers, that's a Marxist organization 
there's no religious, there's no faith, there's no spiritual component to the Black Panthers. That was a bunch of pimps and hoes doing Marxist stuff. It's been celebrated as if, and if, if giving out free breakfasts was the key to saving black communities, black churches have been doing that for 150, 200 years. And so they're all oh, the Black Panthers, they gave out free breakfasts. Black, black pimps and hoes on some Marxist bullshit. The Nation of Islam, you've made a solid point. They were trying to say, hey, look, man, there's a spiritual component to this and a self-esteem component and a self-responsibility component. That's why I went to the Million Man March in whatever year, 1994, whenever it was. That's why I, when I was in college, I used to get a shipment of NOI, Farrakhan tape sent to me every month. You know, I, I, I get, and again, I know not everybody likes Farrakhan and Nation Islam. I'm aware that there's some BS to their religion and there's maybe a little anti-Semitism to their religion. For me, it attracted me as a black man because they were preaching self-responsibility and spirituality. And there was a time I enjoyed that message and it helped me along in my journey. I'm sorry we have to end here, but we are gonna pick back up and do another 30, 40 minutes because you got a lot to say, you're a bright mind, uh, and I wanna continue to let you unpack your ideas because I think it's important. Uh, I believe tomorrow's plane. And so uh, stay tuned for part two of Jason Whitlock, Royce White, and George Floyd. Happy holidays. Freedom, looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all wanna be free. We want freedom.